Hey everybody, welcome to the DC3 cast. I'm Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics released on January 11th, 2017. If you haven't read those comics or care about being spoiled, turn away now. If not, welcome in, enjoy the ride. We're going to start with Justice League Power Rangers number one, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Stephen Byrne. Um, Now, a, a confession to make here, guys. This is... The first bit of Power Rangers material I have ever knowingly ingested. Oh, I, I've never seen an episode of the show. I uh, I've never read a comic. You know, little things here and there in passing, but I, I have no Power Rangers familiarity. So my opinion on this matter is is somewhat moot. Uh, what did you guys think of this issue? Well, first of all, I, I'm going to admit that I was such a big Power Rangers fan from the start that uh, one of the only times I ever got in trouble in school uh, at all, because I was such an angel, um, was for playing Power Rangers at recess once and kicking a classmate. Yep. <laughs> doing like I, a... think, I think that's like a generational touchstone. Right <laughs> that's, you got in trouble for that too, Zach? Oh, uh, yeah, like... Yeah, I feel, I feel like that was just the thing. If you were, like, age, uh, I don't know, like, five to nine in, like, you know, the early 90s, you probably got in trouble for playing Power Rangers at recess. I was too busy playing Kick the Can and trying to get Hoover reelected. to... Oh, uh... you, were, you were having a rousing game of stickball. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, I was in sixth grade when Power Rangers started, and it just seemed a little bit too kiddy for me at the time. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, that's fair. And I would bet dollars to donuts that if Zach and I were to go back and watch those early episodes. Oh, I've oh, tried. How, oh, you have? Yeah, oh, how, yeah. How terrible are they? I mean, they must be I mean, awful. it's not good. No. You have to cut. You have to. I mean, it's it's parody at this point. You know, like, you, you have to go in with like a satiric eye you know mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't created with a tongue anywhere near a cheek was it uh, not intentional uh, i mean i feel like they probably had fun with it it they, was they... too goofy to not for anyone like over the age of you know 12 to to not take seriously yeah or to take seriously i think i butchered that but <laughs> like th- those actors had to have known that they were doing camp right yes yes it was like i mean it was it was 66 batman you know mm-hmm. see i always kind of saw it as uh as like saved by the bell in that it was written by really cynical people trying to take advantage of like what kids liked <laughs> but i don't know if that's actually reality that was just my perception of it at the time yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting uh, perspective. Um, do we need to give you like a little bit of a primer of what the show was actually like? No, I, I, I was, you know, my brother is four years younger than me, so he definitely watched it at points. So okay. I, I've, I've seen enough to have an, have an understanding. I, I guess my question more than anything else is, do you feel that this book, because, you know, I, I can talk about, you know, how the Justice League is portrayed here. 
can you give me a little bit of a, of a background? Do you feel that the Power Rangers were portrayed well in this book? They're well, actually uh, probably portrayed better than yeah. they actually are in the TV show. <laughs> it's it's kind of actually I'm here's here's how I feel about it. These like '90s properties that are coming back and being like I'm thinking of like Liefeld comics, even something like this isn't '90s, but like the Star Wars prequels. You know how bad we all think they are at this point. Mm-hmm. This is really the era of like reclaiming these old properties and kind of celebrating what's campy and fun about them, but also smearing out a lot of the blemishes, you know? Okay. Um, it's so very like, revisionist. It, it very much is. Like, when you, when you read this comic, you can think, like, okay, the personalities of these characters are generally what they were when Power Rangers was on TV, but, like, None of the obviously because it's a comic. None of the bad acting, the bad um, special uh, effects, special effects, budgetary stuff. You know, yeah. none of the camp. You know, like it's very much. It's almost preferable that they move to a static medium like comic books for something like this, and we'll see how the movie turns out. You know, but like Zach's right, it's. It improves on all the bad stuff about Power Rangers. Um, all right, but I have a question about that though. Is it then Power Rangers? Yeah, I mean the fiction is all the same. Like, like the lore is the same. It is all very recognizable as Power Rangers, because basically all they are are like archetype icons, teenagers with attitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely is. Okay, okay. Because I, I, I think sometimes, like, I don't know if you guys had any familiarity or, or love for, like, Micronauts, and that's, like, that stuff that IDW has been kind of revitalizing lately. Like, when I read the Micronauts issue, I was like, well, this has all the words that should be in a Micronauts comic, but it's not Micronauts. You know what I mean? There's just, like, some, there was something missing from it mm-hmm. that made it feel inauthentic, and I wasn't sure if that if this felt similar to that. Well, let me put it like this, and Zach can Zach can uh, correct me or fill in any of the blanks here, but, like, Power Rangers, especially the original, like, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, was so formulaic that if you've seen one episode, you've seen them all. Um, you know, they would, they would be, like, at school or whatever, and all of a sudden there'd be a crisis, the monster would come, they would all get into their costumes, then they would get their robots... Then they would eventually have to put the robots together to actually defeat a larger version of the villain. And that was literally every episode (laughs) with, like, the, like, slightest of window dressing of a plot, like a B-plot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there was one where it was, like, recycling day, and so they were cleaning up in the park. Zach knows exactly no, what he's, he's exactly right. And, and, you know, that kind of gets to the heart of the question you were asking, like, is this Power Rangers? And, like, really, all Power Rangers was was a, a very thinly painted plot to to sell merchandise, you know? And so, like, it, it's essentially a, a blank slate. <clears throat> and kind of, like, Vince alluded to, it wasn't until later that it even kind of took on like a, 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 any level of depth. And so, to it's kind of hard to say that, you know, this is 
adding to that. This is like building that up. It, it which is is probably get like maybe a, a bit. Not to say it's giving it too much credit, but it's it's you probably you know like building that up too much. But it, it what I'm guess I'm trying to say is that there wasn't a lot to go off of, and so anything like this is is kind of more I guess than than okay. what it was. Okay, that's fair. And uh, I gotta say, like this is like my dream project. You know, if like. <laughs> If like six or seven year old me had known that this was a thing that would exist one day, <laughs> I would have had you know like just the purest hope for the future. <laughs> if if you, if I had known that a, a Justice League Power Rangers comic was coming out the same year that Donald Trump was to be elected president, <laughs> I might have I might have said that it you know it it's worth it. <laughs> it yeah, net positive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the one thing I can comment on about this comic is that Stephen Byrne is great. Oh, he's fantastic. And one of the nicest guys in comics, too. Which is, uh, to me, that always makes it better when there's a nice guy behind it, you know. But this looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he strikes a per- the perfect balance between the sort of uh, cartooniness that this sort of has to be but also giving the characters some real um I, I think that you know Batman the Flash Superman Cyborg they they look like them but they look like them as almost as they'd appear in a Power Rangers property like but they still look like them does that make sense like it's a really nice melding of the two of the two styles and i think that everybody everybody looks great every every action sequence is dynamic and fun he doesn't waste any pe- like any pencil strokes. Everything is efficient and and just works really really well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and Batman gets uh, carried away by a flying pink dinosaur robot. Yes, yes he does. Yes, Which do. that that's like the kind of self awareness that people are bringing to the property now that didn't exist. Like <clears throat> when you asked earlier about the tone of the show or whatever. Yes, it was camp, but there wasn't, I don't feel like there was a lot of self-awareness to it, you know, or there wasn't, there was camp, but there wasn't, uh, winking. Right. Nobody was winking at the camera. Right. Yeah. 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 Nobody was like, gee, this is awful. No, they were like, they were like celebrating how campy it was not, not mocking it or making fun of it in any way. Right. It was pretty deadly serious. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, they they all took it seriously, but when you're at home watching Rita Repulsa like doing an evil laugh, like you know that it's not it's it's camp. Yeah. Well, and so much of that camp too just spun out of it, it's really like kind of fascinating. If you I don't want to turn this into like a Power Rangers history lesson, but when you go in and like read about how you know so much of the early seasons were were just reusing japanese footage and and doing voiceovers for it and and just kind of like jiggering pieces from different series together to make it's really kind of like crazy and interesting but it's interesting that one of the things that bothered me as a kid was i felt like there was too much discrepancy between the film stock of the various parts of the episode 
Very and like, much so. It just it was <laughs> jarring. Like you'd watch a little part of it, but wait, this this doesn't look anything like that looks at all. You know, and it just it was a little bit jarring for me. So yes, yeah. So by by that token, this comic being like such a nice meld of the styles of DC and 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 Power Rangers is refreshing because nothing, like you said, nothing looks out of place. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's a it's a pretty inconsequential comic. Like, oh, absolutely. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. This isn't like earth shattering, but it was fun, right? I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And again, I came to it with complete apathy for one of the two properties. And if I could enjoy it, then that means it's a lot of fun and it's good. Yeah. And I've been generally pretty down on these like kind of inner property crossovers mm. of late. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of the ba- Batman. Ninja Turtles or like Star Trek Green Lantern. But this was a lot of fun. Good. Sure. Um, we're gonna zap all the fun out of the room now though. Because we're gonna talk about action comics number nine seventy one. <laughs> Written by Dan Jergens. Illustrated, illustrated by Steven Segovia. Yeah. Uh what 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 Vince? You 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 guys thus. What's going on? How many times have we done like the fake Clark reveal at the end? Like somebody sh- like <laughs> in this in this action comic, this Dan Jurgens action comics run alone. How many times has the last page been like Clark, like fake Clark showing up and being like, ah, now I'm gonna fuck everything up, or like, <laughs> uh, or like, or like Lois Lane that's not supposed to be there, or like, it's just. We're still on this. Yeah. We're still on this shit. Not only that, but last issue ended with Superman literally telling Lex Luthor, you are guilty, like you should die. And this issue, he says, he you're, said- not, you're not guilty at all. Like He completely goes back on on everything. He, he kind of – Jurgens tried to make this oh. issue the end of Superman 2. Uh-huh. Where Superman and Lex are are unknowingly working together, and ha- until Lex, you know, tries to screw over Superman, but Superman knows that. But this is done so much worse in Superman two, and in Superman two, he rips a giant S off his chest and throws it at somebody, and this is far dumber than that. But to your point, to your point, Brian, he says in the very beginning of this very issue, you're guilty, and you should be, you know. Well, I, I think there he's trying to bide time. Man, I think. I guess, but then like, but then all of a sudden he says, I investigated you and you find out that it was the investigation that happened like months ago in Lois and Clark. Yeah. In Lois and Clark. Yeah. And it's like, well, what was all this then? You know, like, (laughs) and then, and then this is okay. Something I've been saying when we've talked about this comic is how like, Jurgens writes these characters as if they're like like Lex Luthor. He le- he writes him as if he's supposed to be this like brilliant guy that we know that he is. Mm-hmm. But then he he always has him say something like like in this issue he said, "Wow, a well executed strategy." When Superman uses a mother box to transport them away, like what do, what do you mean well executed strategy? He's got a mother <laughs> box. He used it. There's no. It's not like a brilliant plan or something. Right, yeah. It's literally like a spur of the moment thing that <sighs> Jurgens writes this as if it's all some like 
brilliant chess game between these idiots with long hair and and Lex and Superman and like it just comes off as dumb beyond words. And it seems like every in every issue Superman and Lex change their opinion about the other one four or five times. <laughs> you know, Superman's dumb. No wait, he's brilliant. Lex is an asshole. No wait, he's really a hero. It's they're always changing their minds about each other. Uh, yeah, Zach, you, I'm spent. You got anything, Zach? Uh, this one got Wilkerson. A little oh, that's bit. right. Yeah. I, I knew that. I'll, I'll come back to it. I will say this. I don't know if there's like, if this is just supposed to be coincidence. Because the, the whole issue, Zach, is kind of predicated on the idea that Lois is hanging out at New 52 dead Lois's apartment, right? And she brings John there. And John's hungry, so she orders Chinese food. And the issue ends with New Clark delivering the Chinese food. So that there are three possibilities here. Clark runs into the delivery guy and is like, "Hey, you boy, where are you going? Oh, I'll take it there for you," which is weird. Um, that Clark has a part-time job as a Chinese delivery guy and just randomly got called by Lois and is bringing the food there. Or Lois is like, when she says I ordered Chinese food, what she means is I called fake clark and had him get chinese food for us <laughs> or i've got i've got a fourth and a fifth okay. option okay, go for it. fourth fourth option is that chinese food is her booty call code word for the fake clark kent <laughs> <laughs> or five chinese food is a pizzagate ask <laughs> the daily planet staff when they order pizza it's really uh, a pedophile ring and fake Clark is coming to get Jonathan and throw him in a van. I mean, to be fair, the bag does say chow queen on it. And if that's not a fake sex term, I don't know what is. Oh God. I'm going to hell. Uh, uh, <laughs> is it comic? Yeah. Don't read this comic, Zach. Okay. Yeah, I probably will. <laughs> Just wait until they do that crossover. That's sure to be half awful. Yeah. And uh, and just just come back there. Super League? No, that was that was the Super last one. What's the, what's the next one called? Um, Re Reborn. Superman Reborn or Superman Returns or something. Which is not. Is it March? It's March. April. Yeah, it's March. 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 Okay. April has the Batman Flash crossover. That's correct. Though. The Batman's watching the Watchmen. The button. The button. Bum bum bum. All right, that brings us to All-Star Batman, number uh, six, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Jock with a backup by Francesco Francovilla. Um, so, Zach, I have a confession to make here. Confess. I think you ruined Scott Snyder Batman for me. Oh, man, what'd I do? You told me, you said a couple weeks ago that, like, that Scott Snyder is obsessed with quasi-science in Batman. Uh-huh. And, like, that's all this issue is. Is just like weird fake science that doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, everything is like a everything is transmutable via virus. In, yes, in uh, Scott Snyder comics. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, obviously Jock does some really good stuff here. I think the issue at times looks really beautiful. I, I have this this real deep love for comics set in uh, in snowy climates. I really like that. But there was just something about this issue to me that, that really bugged me. 
partially because of that, um, because of that, like, fake science virus, antivirus bomb, you know, it was just bullshit. See, I, I actually didn't mind this issue as much. Um, I think I, the only part that really stuck out to me as weird is that Batman had a virus and something, something happened with that. He did a thing and was yeah. really hot. I don't know. I didn't get that. But uh, the whole plot about there being like a, a like prehistoric bacteria living in the ice and it's all going to come out. I'm fine with that. Sooner part or later it. because of global warming and climate change. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, um, but no, yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you. Like this one, I didn't think this one was quite as egregious as previous issues in, in terms of that, but I, it's definitely there. Yeah. And I guess I'm somewhere in between you guys because, um, like Zach, the pseudoscience in this one didn't really bother me as much. Um, because I actually thought it was kind of a cool application of a pseudoscience idea, you know? I'm more bothered when it's, like, not even that cool of an idea, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't bothered by the idea of the virus in the in the ice. It was more the Batman antivirus, virus, yeah. virus, virus, virus thing. I hear you. I hear you. Um, and I, I love Scott Snyder. I think he's a great writer. Scott, I love you, in case you're listening. Um, but can I just say my problem with the issue, and it's it's a fairly minor problem, but, but maybe it's also not. Um, I don't really care for comic books that are this heavy on prose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the comic was told almost entirely in a prose style of narration. Um written as prose with like accompanying pictures. And to me that style is just not my preference, you know? And this is totally I'm not making a case for its quality at all. I'm just saying my preference is um not that sort of approach to comics. You know what I mean? Um I thought the jock art looked really great. I thought I thought it was well written like he's Snyder has such a unique voice. I just don't, on average, want to digest my comics that way, you know? Yeah. I understand that, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting, though. I feel like that's something that, that Snyder really enjoys doing, though, and is, you know, kind of experimenting with that more. I don't know if either of you guys have read either, uh, read any of AD. That, mm -hmm. that has a lot of that, too, and... And even his contributions to the you Love know, is Love his, um, yeah. anthology was that way, too. It was that way, too. And, you know, a lot of times his narration that he uses is almost kind of, like, very prose-esque. So I, I think that's maybe just, like, an interesting side to him. Because he, he came from... From prose writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which is actually, like, becoming more and more common, I feel like, in comics. You know, guys like Ben Percy and... Uh, who was the guy who did Earth 2 uh, Society, Daniel Wilson. A bunch of guys like that. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you, Vince. I, that, that, I think when I see that, I'm kind of off-put by it. I think I tend to end up enjoying it 
more than mm-hmm. I expect. More mostly more than anything, it's not necessarily the the way the story is conveyed, like th- through prose. It's more like the design, the layout aesthetic of it. You know. Yeah. That like that kind of. Um. Maybe it was just the font. I didn't love the font in this. <laughs> Uh, can I ask a really nerdy question here? Yeah. Wasn't like, so so Snyder was the one who brought Mr. Freeze into the new 52. It was that Batman annual uh-huh. that I hated because it made it so that Nora was never his wife. Do you remember that? How it, it was, yeah, like, yeah, she, she was like she was like a student or something, you know? There, she wasn't his wife, and, and he became obsessed with her. But he was just like it was this fantasy that he had constructed around her, and that they were never really in love. And what kind of threw me for a loop with this issue was that Freeze looks like he did in that issue, but Bruce says to him a number of times, like you know. This isn't the Nora who fell in love with you. That whole thing, like it just felt like he was undoing the story that Snyder himself told a couple of years ago. Well, and frankly, I think, um, you know, the Batman animated series version of this story is so strong that it makes total sense to me that if you're doing it in Rebirth, you're going to use that as the template, even if it's still Snyder writing it. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, the animated series is the best Mr. Freeze it ever was or probably ever will be. It all, yeah, ever will be. I mean, don't even – I don't want to say don't ever use the character again, but don't ever tell that origin again. You can't do it better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you guys think of the Francovia backup? Oh, Great. Like, maybe even better than the Shelby Bite part. your tongue. Maybe I'm I'm saying maybe. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it was great. It was very good. It was the highlight of one of the highlights of the week. Um the just that they're trying to solve a giant crossword puzzle. <laughs> yes. 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 It's, it's perfect. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, it was nice to see the entire Black Mirror team together again. Yeah, that this issue was a highlight for me for that reason. It's very special. Did yeah. anyone else think that Bruce, towards the end of the the jock story, looked like the the like late two thousands X Force Wolverine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, <clears throat> it's almost it's really uncanny. Yeah, X Men. <laughs> well played. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that brings us to um, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. Is this number six? Yeah, number six. Uh, who wrote this, Vince? Who illustrated it? Uh, Julian Shauna Benson wrote it, and it's still being illustrated by Rose Antonio. Um, so Vince pointed out to, to us in a text that there's a major uh, error in the book that an editor should have caught, so shame on you, whoever edited this book. I'm not really. Humans make mistakes, it's fine. Um, but I'm looking at you, Chris Conroy, and Dave Weigelts, and Mark Doyle. Um, but the uh, how at one point uh, it, you see, there's an image of Black Canary, and she'll say, she says, I will always be Oracle or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She does, yeah, she says, I will always be the Oracle. When she's talking to the new Oracle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very clearly Black Canary 
somebody it's the back of her head but it's her hair and it's her costume so um yeah for sure it's uh that that was a big i wonder if it i wonder if it'll be fixed in the digital version oh that's interesting it'll i think it'll definitely be fixed by the trade oh yeah for sure especially if they the editors listen to the dc3 which of course they do yeah of um, course no <laughs> I think it'll be pretty easy to just even recolor that panel. Yeah. You just yep. just throw a cowl on, on the back of that head and make it Babs's head and you're all set. Yeah. Or even just have um, her say, you know, Batgirl will always be Oracle. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So many ways to fix this fuck up. Yes. <laughs> um What can't be fixed as easily is this comic. Oh boy. So I like how and I'm using like ironically. <laughs> I like how the new Oracle is basically um, uh, Remy Malik's character from Mr. Robot. I don't know if either of you watch Mr. Robot. But I do not know. He's like taking medication and he's a hacker and like he all of a sudden he has like a personality switch and uh, they're clearly cribbing from Mr. Robot. Uh, so. You know, there are a couple of, of, of parts of this issue that, that drove me a little bit bonkers. Um, the Oracle, like, t- quote, twist at the end. You almost can't call it a twist because it's so telegraphed that it shouldn't be a shock to anybody that that guy is not exactly who he says he is. Um, but, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know. There is something about the rebirth titles that when they don't work, they just stand out like a sore thumb because so much of the stuff around it is working so well. And we have black Canary being very interesting in green arrow. We have Batgirl being very interesting in her own book. And we have Huntress being interesting nowhere in, in rebirth because the character hasn't been developed into anything. And it's just this, uh, it's just a subpar book is, is all it comes down to. Zach, what'd you think? Yeah. Oh, you guys know I woke up in this like <laughs> Yeah, the mercenary. We gotta just we gotta just start calling Zach the mercenary. Yeah, yeah. He Call me Deathstroke. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, we'll get there. Yeah, well. Um yeah, I don't have much more to say about this comic. No. Let's move on. Okay. That brings us to the aforementioned Wilkerson. Deathstroke, number 10, writ- written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Carrie Nord. Uh, last warning, bitches, is the first words in the comic. Um, this is a good comic, guys. I don't know how many more yeah, ways we can okay. say this. Right. I just The only thing I wanted to say is I'm just endlessly fascinated by what he's doing with Rose Wilson right now, yes, too. Yes, yes. I, I just feel like... Um, Every choice he makes with this particular cast of characters is is a, is a strong one, a very interesting one. Like I'm, I'm fascinated where her character is going. You know, um, it ju- it just feels uh, so different and and so different from the Rose Wilson that we've seen before because you know she's always been involved with like Teen Titans and like the youth characters, right? Mm-hmm. But but now like. It's it's different from that, but it's so fitting for this book. Um, that I just 
want him to keep running in this direction. It's uh, it's really good. Yeah, uh, I liked the Jericho stuff this issue. I liked the, uh, you know, I, I I'm not I'm not one for a ton of, of flashbacks to, for the Slade stuff because I feel like Slade's character is simple enough. You don't need to make his backstory all of that complicated to make it work. But I thought everything more or less worked here, and Carrie Nord did some great work here. Yeah, really good art. Um. I wish I had more to say. Yeah, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, it, it, we've 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 already blown this book to Kingdom Come. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, that was Deathstroke. Um, then we get Detective Comics number nine forty eight, written by James Tynion the fourth and and uh, and Marguerite Bennett, illustrated by Ben Oliver. I think you guys know how I feel about Ben Oliver. <laughs> The whole time I was reading this, I thought Brian has such a massive boner right now. <laughs> uh, it was really good, guys. It was really good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think um, the art was some of Ben Oliver's best work, but I feel like I say that every time he puts something out because he's he's kind of, you know. He's a mercenary. He just comes in here and there. He he, he never has a very long stint on anything. And well, the longest I... stint he had recently was the Batwing stuff, and that was five years ago now. Yeah, right. And um, and, but man, is this fun too? Like, I'm really. It, this makes me really excited for Batwoman, for Marguerite Bennett's Batwoman that's coming. Um. Yeah, I'm pumped. Uh, they they revisit the uh, Night of the Monster Men a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I love that that they showed her like spying on Batman in her early years. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, just so much fun. Um, I can't wait for that book with Steve Epting drawing that one too. Yeah, so. I actually think that Ben Oliver is the perfect bridge to get to Epting. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I've said this many times, and so forgive me if I've said it to you guys before. I think the Batwoman costume is the best designed DC costume of the last 15 years or so. It's just perfect. It, it's so perfectly yeah. designed. And, and it's one of the few that haven't changed. Well, yeah, and I was going to say, I feel like it's not only has it not changed, you almost never see an artist do a bad version of it. Like contrast this with the the Ben Oliver Batwing suit. Only mm. Ben Oliver could draw that suit. Whenever anybody else did it, it looked clunky and misshapen. But Oliver could handle it. But anybody, it seems like, can do the Batwoman suit because it's just such an elegant, simple design. But when you put it in the hands of a J.H. Williams or a Ben Oliver or a Steve Epting, it's gonna just it's gonna look that much better. Um. I can't think of a young character that has had this many great artists work on her or him. Yeah. I mean, Amy Reader did a couple issues on that book, you know, just a really, really consistently great batch of artists. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add about this issue? No, it just gets 
Batwoman's going to be really good. Yeah. And I'm glad that she's going to remain an integral part of Detective. I think it would have been very easy to write her out of that book. Yeah, it's really cool. I like how in Rebirth they are taking their characters that work really well in books and then spinning them off in other books, but, but you know, kind of still not diminishing their role, like uh, kind of what I assume will happen with, like, Jonathan Kent when Super Sons comes out and, and you know, hopefully we'll be seeing more of that sort of thing. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that brings us to uh, The Flash, number 14, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Carmen A. Gian Domenico. There we go. Um, this is this is the beginning of the Rogues Reloaded arc. Um, I mean, this is another really, really good comic, guys. Really good. Um, I felt like... Um... D. Gian Domenico. Carmine. Carmine. I felt like Carmine was um, kind of hearkening to like Scott Collins on the Jeff Johns run. I could see that. I could see that. I, my favorite part of the issue is such a small detail, but it was the, um, the rogues, like the little circular photos of the rogues that looked so amazingly silver agey. Um, I just thought it was so nice to see DC reference that without it being silly. I, I, I don't know. It was just, it was really well done. Yeah. I think this is maybe one of the most overt um, attempts that we've seen in rebirth to kind of blend like the current with the new 52 with classic dc all in a single comic and it and it worked really well i think even there's little bits of the television show sprinkled in here too it's sort of like a perfect melding of all of the flashes yeah and that's really great yeah this book is good and i i feel like this arc could end up being something really special in particular We'll yeah. see. It's um it's so gratifying when you know unlike the uh, the Tom King Batman run not to pick on Tom King but it's so gratifying when a book you were really excited about lives up to the expectations you had for it. And I think we were all pretty hyped on this book before it came out and it's great that it's been following through with that. Vince, anything to add before we uh, wrap it up? No, you guys said everything I wanted to say. It's such a good book. Yeah. Uh, That brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 12, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Ethan Van Sciver. Um, There's one really funny, weird thing in this comic we're going to talk about in a few minutes. (laughs) But overall... Ethan Van Sciver's art? uh, That's just the most posy shit in the world. Man, I I do not like Van Skyver's art. I don't like this comic when he's drawing it. It doesn't matter what's happening in it. Like, I find it very difficult to read. Is it just me, or has he gotten even posier? I don't think it's you. (laughs) 
Like, he was always a little bit that way, right? He always kind of had these posed characters. But there's that there's that one page where Kyle and Hal and the Guardians show up. And it just looks... It looks like he just took out his action figures and, like, put them on the ground and then just drew what he saw there. It's just... it's There's no movement. There's no fluidity. There's no like the, the the best part about comics is that the sequential art you can almost trick your eyes into thinking that action is really happening, and none of that happens here. There's there's no tricks here. No, <laughs> no. No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your toys again. Exactly. Um, that said, I liked a lot of what happened in the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is. This is maybe some of the best Venditti Green Lantern that I think he, he's done. I'll agree with that. Absolutely. I, I liked the very end. I like where we're at now with the, the green and, and yellow cores joining one another. Yes. Um, yeah. It's it's actual, you know, forward forward motion. Yeah. It's an unexpected twist that might actually lead someplace not for an issue or two. Yeah. But for a sustained different run. Um, all right, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The the keeping new fifty two Lobo trapped in a bottle forever. <laughs> that was cute. Uh <laughs> somewhere I just picture Cullen Bunn crying. Yeah. <laughs> Well, did you see Cullen Bunn has a big announcement coming? Yeah, they've teased an announcement. It's they're go- he's going to release Lobo from that bottle. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, it, it was cute. It was funny. It was fine. It's just uh, it's a little bit a uh, little bit odd that they felt the need <laughs> to comment on that. Well, it's fun. Yeah. You know, DC's motto, leave no stone unturned, tie up every single plot thread. <laughs> How many years from now? All right, well, let, let's presume that Lobo experiences a renaissance as part of JLA <laughs> and gets his own solo title. How many years before, as Bleeding Cool put it, and I never saw it put this way before, before Lipstick Lobo shows up again? Oh, jeez. Well, you know, the the real Lobo is going to have to go kill the Bastich that was impersonating him. So, yeah. although supposedly, if you re- if you recall the Colin Bunn book, Lipstick Lobo was always the real Lobo. Right. Yeah, and he was he was going after the impersonator, which was the old Lobo. Right. Good God. Can I just? I'm just going to pretend that the Joker's daughter was in that bottle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, never yeah. to be heard from again. Uh, Joker's daughter died on the way back to her home planet. <laughs> oh my God, she was Poochie. Yeah, she... she was Poochie of the New Fifty Two. Uh, was there anybody more Poochie than her? I mean, in some ways, Pandora is truly the Poochie it's of the New Fifty Two. She literally did go back to her home planet at the end. Yeah. In... <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, that brings us to JLA Rebirth, Vixen, written by Steve Orlando and Jody Hauser, illustrated by Jamal Campbell. What do you guys think of this issue? I liked it a lot. I think I think 
Orlando's killing these. And Jody Hauser, killing it. Yeah, her stock is rising. Absolutely. Which is nice. Yeah. yeah. This, in in many ways, so, you know, um, back, when, <clears throat> back when DCU started, okay, mm-hmm. um, Y-O-U. Yes. Um, people were saying, you know, oh, the Batgirl is like the Hawkeyeing of the DCU, you know? Yes, yes. Compared, even though I don't think those books have very much in common at all. I understand um, why people thought that. Why people would say that, yes. I thought... DC was going to break a lot, um, a lot further in that direction, but then DCU kind of tanked. And Rebirth has been really good, so you know, no problem there. But um, this Vixen, this one shot, like since DCU ended, this is the most Marvel. This reminds me totally of a Marvel origin story for like a new legacy hero i'm thinking of like kamala khan or something like that you know the just the structure of the comic the subject matter the way that it's presented and the fact that she's going to end up on this justice league of america team because a big thing over in marvel is that you get these new characters introduced with new origins and then they get dropped onto like a new avengers team or whatever this whole thing reminded me of like the best version of a uh a new a new age Marvel origin, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on, Vince. Um, I do. I, I think that 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 absolutely tells the uh, tells the story of the issue. Um, I thought that Jamal Campbell's artwork was pretty great in this issue. I thought that the scene set in Africa actually, you know, I I feel like this is the Batwing three tonight. But I, I feel like the scene set in Africa actually did, to me, evoke a similar Africa as we saw in Batwing. That's not to say that it's taking place in the same African nation, but just the sort of tone and visual feel of of that those pieces reminded me a lot of that Batwing series, which I did love when it when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. I really did. I won't stop talking about it. Uh, but yeah, I I really liked it. I I will say one thing. My my one. Very small beef with this issue. Uh, we we've brought on a bunch of new writers for DC, so I mean for for Multiversity. So hello, new writers, if you're listening. And um, one of the gentlemen, Mike, uh, reviewed this issue, and he said that it's very weird that Vixen says the name of the animal she's becoming, but we also see her becoming an animal, and how like you know there's the she she says elephant. At the same time as you're seeing, like, the sort of weird, like, plasmatic elephant that you see, like, on Legends of Tomorrow or on the Vixen animated series, that, that w- that's used to uh, to do that. And he was just saying, that, like, in such a visual medium, it sort of reads clunky when you see that. And he's t- I didn't notice it when I first read it. But after reading his review and then going back to it, he's totally right. Like, the fact that she says dolphin as becoming a dolphin is just a little silly. That's that's very like um, super friends to me. Yes, yeah. that's there's very, a, there's like, a degree of shop. camp there that I enjoy though. Yeah, I I agree. <clears throat> but I I, um, I understand the point. That's yeah. yeah. Real real question though, like where does where does Justice League International fit into this? Like... <laughs> that is a good question. You know, I, I wonder if 
if Vic, if we're just supposed to pretend Vixen never happened, like n- never appeared in the New Fifty Two. Yeah. Doctor Manhattan took it away. <laughs> sure. The, the button. The button. I, I feel like the only proper way to say the button is to say it in Alfred's Ringo voice. <laughs> the, the button. The button. <clears throat> the button, sir. <laughs> Master Bruce, I found a button. I've got a hole in my pocket. I was just going to say that you started ah, like... Ah, gotcha. Beat me <laughs> that's, to a deep, it. that's a deep cut. That right? is a deep cut. Oh, man. <laughs> um, anything else to say about Vixen? Have we, have we seen Jamal Campbell's art anywhere else? That's a good question. Because I, I, I suppose I could have Googled it, but I was trying to rack my brain to... Like, was he on a Marvel book, or... Zach, um, you looking this up? Yeah. While I'm looking it up, I'll, I will say, um, relevant and late-breaking news, um, Scott Snyder just tweeted, editing an issue, and I realize I have become an expert in many, many fields of fictitious science. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. No, he, he is listening. He's somehow listening live. He's, oh, no. a, he's our live studio audience. He's on, oh, oh, God. He did. He did just say <clears throat> that. Let's see. It looks like he's done a few things. I'm not sure if this is like actual interiors or like cover stuff, but he's done some stuff for Marvel. Looks like some Inhumans, Captain America stuff. Okay. Uh, so mostly Marvel, it looks like. Oh, I think he's doing that new Prowler series. Oh, okay. It's spun out of Clone something something <laughs> well i'm definitely good with seeing him yeah or dc work for sure that the issue looked gorgeous yeah. yeah my one question now that we've seen is this the second of the rebirth issues or the third the second i believe yeah. second. yes the second uh i i am interested to see how this is going to lead to the jla series or if it's purely just to introduce us to the characters because it seems like everyone's ending their story in a slightly different place. You know, um, so I'm interested to see how, how it all connects. But yeah, uh, this is this is a good comic. Uh, that brings us to Justice League versus Suicide Squad, number four, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Fernando Pissarin. Um this is kind of more of the same, you know. Again, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock this. It's about as good as a big crossover event gets right now. It's just, it's very decompressed for my tastes. Yeah, I'm having fun with it. Like, um, I loved that behind. Uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but the guy with the mask. Doctor Doctor Sorrow or Johnny Johnny, Johnny, Sorrow. Johnny Sorrow, yeah, Johnny Sorrow, Johnny yeah. Tsunami. <laughs> I love that behind Johnny Tsunami's mask, it's a tsunami of like Lovecraftian horror that yeah. just like that just like melts the minds of the people that see it. And I love that they really went with that idea and and drew like a huge sprawling image of that. Uh, just very cool idea. Um, I love that they drop in a little Saturn Girl reference, and they say that Superman is going to be looking for Saturn Girl in Supergirl. Supergirl yeah. Which I bum, thought bum, bum. that was like the bomb. That was the bombshell of the week. I thought. Yeah, it was an editor's box. <laughs> an editor's <laughs> hell. The bombshell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's 
that's what I've always wanted. <laughs> I've always said the best way to, to get a story point across is to have an editor say it in a in a <laughs> post draw in a post illustration uh, text box. Excelsior. Yes. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned, true believers. <laughs> well, I fucked the corpse of Jack Kirby. <laughs> um, sorry. That's right. This, this episode's going to get me fired from my real life job. Because <laughs> you know they listen. Yeah. So, uh, Batman blowing up Lobo's head was strange. Yes, I, I, I think what's going to – the the punchline of that is going to be that he's going to say, in typical, like, Batman fashion, I knew he couldn't die. Yeah, right. You know. Right. But, but yeah. And then, and then at the end, Max Lord gets the Eclipso diamond, and, and uh, we have become Eclipso, which I, I love whenever the Eclipso stuff shows up. I agree. Uh, there was that great, the last really great Eclipso story was, and I feel like Zach's going to back me up, and I feel like we talk about this every week. James Robinson? Yes, in J- James Robinson's JLA, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was right before Flashpoint. Yeah. Which I will say, that that was my least favorite arc of his run, I think. It had some art issues, but it was still, it had St. Walker, so. And it was also, I don't a tangent i'm the worst about this but it it got tied up in like the reign of the doomsday oh yeah did. Too. it was really just like an editorial cluster but but that sort of defines like 20 early good 2011 on, dc comics good on james robinson yeah yeah we're gonna one day go back and do an episode about that run i love it yeah um but yeah this issue um you know I liked some of the Killer Frost stuff. I do like how Killer Frost and Lobo are getting a, uh, we're getting a little bit more than just the, we're getting a little bit more with them than we're getting with everybody else because this is going to lead into them being part of the Justice League of America. And I think that's being handled relatively well. Um, like I said, it's just, it's, it feels like the first four issues might have worked a little bit better as two issues for my reading tastes. Sure. Yeah. But still, a, a fun event so far. Um, anything else to say? No. Still going still going good. I'm excited. Uh, what do you guys think of Harley Quinn being impervious to Johnny Sorrow because she's like already nuts? Oh, I, yeah. I actually that was, that was that. Cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. That was a fun little touch. The, the way that it was, ex- it was really well executed. Like the look on her face and the yeah. reaction to it. Yeah, it was good. Uh, that brings us to Vince's Cream Dream number seven. <laughs> I mean, sorry, New Superman number seven, uh, written by uh, Gene Lu and Yang, illustrated by uh, who did this issue? It wasn't Victor Bogdanovich. It was, uh, it was Billy, Billy Tan. Tan. Billy Tan, yeah. Can, who... can I just say something up front here? Sure. Anybody, and this includes you guys, but anybody listening or whatever that that gave up on this book or like you know wasn't feeling it after the first few issues or whatever, or even didn't read stayed for the entire arc and is you know questioning whether they're gonna do any more, I would say read this issue 
You don't need anything that came before, really, at this point. Um, if you don't like it after this, then fine, I'll stop bugging you. But, like, <laughs> I, I just think this, like, this issue was so charming. It looked great. Billy Tan's art was great. There's so much going on. It's so fresh. Um, I, I love this book, and I, I, I want other people to love it, too. If they don't, it's fine, but I'm imploring people to give this issue a chance. Yeah. I, I can corroborate. Right. You, you I didn't... I didn't. I didn't go back and catch up like I said I was going to. I still plan on doing that, but I, I did read this issue, and and everything you said is true, and it was very good. Oh, I appreciate that. I, yeah, I'm I'm gonna stump for this book until it's canceled. <laughs> Enjoy the next six months, buddy. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I hope it lasts forever. Um, but no, the um, I I will say this. I, I think part of the reason I've enjoyed. It, it as of late is I think that as much of that is is on the book is on me. I feel like it took me a while to uh, accept the book's tone. Maybe like now that I know what it's going for, I can enjoy it far more. And, but I, I do think the biggest difference is that uh, Keenan Kenan is just not a dick anymore. Yeah, those first couple issues he was a real dick. And he's not so much anymore, so that's good. Uh, and yeah. Billy Tan's art was really impressive in this issue. I did enjoy also the Gotham, like, uh, Gotham Arena. Yeah. That yeah. was fun. Uh, speaking of Gotham, I skipped Gotham Academy second season. Anybody read that issue this week? Yeah, I read it. How Anything of note happened? Um... Colton has been expelled from Gotham Academy, so that's that's about it. I mean, it's it's good. It's good in the way it's always good. Yeah. Nothing earth-shattering besides that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Anything else to say about New Superman besides everybody should give it a second chance? Good. 150 issues. Get up there with Azrael. <laughs> <laughs> will say this if this gets 150 issues i will personally pay for vince to fly to china to to reenact his favorite scene from this from the book so you heard me dc to take take my challenge dan didio's like we just gotta do this for the dc3 it's gonna be hilarious it's gonna bankrupt us but we're gonna do it (laughs) it's gonna be funny this is that goodwill we've been wanting from the press, getting a lot of good press. Oh, all right, guys. That brings... I, I hope. Uh, I hope then uh, President Trump will eventually pardon me for my international crimes that I'm going to commit. No, he'll just yell fake news at us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Batman. That's fake news, people. It's fake news. There's no Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman. He said I am Batman once. Remember that? <laughs> Did you, you I remember? do remember that, yes. Yeah. He took a kid on like a helicopter ride, and the kid asked him if he was Batman, and he said, I am Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I keep wanting to do a Trump impression, but it just comes out as the Dio. Um, <laughs> but I was going to say he's like... Um, there's no new Superman. I'm the new Superman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Department, China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. China. China. <laughs> oh, fuck me. All right, we're going to read it in the Outlaws, number six, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Dexter Soy. Uh, this this continues to be the best Lobdell book in quite some time. Maybe ever? Maybe ever. Zach, have you read a better Lobdell? I've never read a better Lobdell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe some of his Marvel 90s output. I don't think so. I, I find that hard to believe. As somebody who, I don't think I've read his 90s Marvel stuff, but as somebody who's read Marvel in the 90s, I think that's a, that's a turd that's been colored. Uh, colored. <laughs> All right, so this is the best Love Dell ever. I think so. You know, this is not a, a particularly clever book. It's not a particularly earth-shattering book, but it's fun and it works. Yeah, it's there's nothing offensive about it, I don't think, unless I'm not woke enough to identify anything. Um, there's, there's, uh, yeah, it's um, Bruce Wayne laughs at the end. Yeah, and needs a hamburger. <laughs> Yeah, this is good. this is a pretty good comic, guys. Yeah. I, I won't go so far as to say it's really good. It's pretty good. Can I uh, can I address the elephant in the room with this issue? Sure. Did you guys see the the bleeding cool post about could that guy at the end be Rorschach? What guy at the end? You mean the the, with the like clippings? Yeah, the guy that's like posting up. He's got like the um, the Dark Trinity thing. Yeah, the Dark Trinity. Uh, you know, yeah. true detective thing. I don't. I don't think he would exclaim, "I love it." Right. Yeah. And <laughs> my my fear was that this is uh, Joker's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just somebody that's, listening that's, to Iconopop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. That was a funny joke two years ago. Uh, uh... <laughs> no, but but. I think the the premise is that like because he's putting up a similar board that Rorschach, but like does doesn't Rich realize that that's an extremely common trope in like crime shows and movies and stories to have like your your wall web of the case that you're trying to solve? It's, it's like it, literally every procedural on TV has that. Right. I feel like that's just really weak grounds for saying that this could be Rorschach. Yeah. Well. Vince, uh, Vince, I, I think you are the most in tune with following Bleeding Cool. That's because I'm an awful person. <laughs> but but I think that Rich Johnston is just trying to find like Watchmen everywhere. Cause, cause, you're shitting me. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, no, I, I feel like he's just he's always he's always chasing the dragon for the next big scoop, and so he wants to be right about one of these things. So you know, yep. remember how Gotham and Gotham Girl were Night Owl and Silk Spectre? Yep. Yep. You know, so there. Here's another one in Red Hood and the Outlaws. Red Hood wears a watch, oh. and he's a man. It's true. Was that one? Was that a real one? I saw. <laughs> no, it wasn't on this. It was a different. I I don't remember who who it was. What what news outlet? But they were doing something similar to this, and um, one of the connections they drew were was that the the logo that Wally West has on his new costume is very similar to the logo on the, um, the like electric charging units that they use in Watchmen for the, that are like on the streets. 
that was a thing. My God. I feel like all of the, and I've said this before, so again, I'm sorry for repeating myself. I feel like all of these are just a hair's breadth removed from it was over the sea sea for catwoman from the batman 66 movie like the worst drawing connection between anything ever they're all just slightly better than that uh, yeah uh, that brings us to suicide squad number nine written by um Cy spurrier and rob williams and illustrated by riley rosmo the first good issue of suicide squad in rebirth Definitely. I was not super hot on this issue uh, because I just don't really care about this team that much, but it was certainly the best issue of this series you know, by a long shot. I um, think this team is instantly more interesting than the traditional Suicide Squad that we've been given purely on the basis of how they're, how they're written. I think that original team is so like, they are a chore to spend time with in this comic. Mm-hmm. And this, this like... Zero year Suicide Squad team is so much more fun. Like Lobo is actually fun in this issue. That like weird character, the Silotron character that dies in the end. Are you talking about Cyclotron, who was featured as a character as as an action figure in the Superpowers line of the early eighties? <sighs> Still be disrespectful. Maybe <laughs> it was. I I had a Cyclotron figure. All right, I did. Um, I mean, I, I definitely see your point, Vince. I I guess I just wish that. I'm of two minds here. Part of me wishes we just got a little bit more backstory about some of these characters. And I, you know, I know I've read comics in the past that have Emerald Empress and Doctor Polaris in them, but I feel like they were introduced and we were all supposed to go like, "Look, it's Johnny Sorrow." And I don't think that reaction really happened because I don't. There just hasn't been enough building them up. So I just wish there was a little bit more building them up, so that we could care about the characters a little bit more. But as I said, this is definitely the best issue of this series. I mean, by a long shot. Yeah. Riley Rasmus' art looks great, and it's so good. And and even I feel like the like the the tone and the and the tenor of the writing is. A lot stronger too for sure yeah i actually i really enjoyed this issue i um i wonder if i wonder how much of this is and we've said we've asked this in the past how much of our unenjoyment of the book has been about jim lee's art and just I, the I, type of story that jim lee tells visually right the just the general lee aesthetic that you know what to expect from and i think for me until proven otherwise, I'm just going to assume that that's what it is for me. Yeah, this sorry, issue, sorry this was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was almost like fun in a way, you know, like it had like Jack Kirby-esque, like celestial versions of this Suicide Squad. And, you know, like, yeah, it actually had like a little bit of humor that wasn't, you know, like toilet humor or... <laughs> I mean, it was still, like, super grim, but... But it's Suicide Squad, so... It's Suicide... I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I hope that that future issues feel more like this. They probably I, I, won't, though. I think, like, were you to give 
Suicide Squad, the artist that it deserves, it would be Riley Rosmo on like an ongoing basis. Yeah. I think he I think that's that perfectly fits with his aesthetic. Um he's good at drawing like twisted things, you know? Um <laughs> do you mean, do you mean damage? Do you mean damage? Yeah. <laughs> um but I just think I just think this fits him so well and um yeah. Strap in for JRJR, baby. Yeah. Fuck. All right. Okay. Because that's coming. Uh, that brings us to Supergirl, number five, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Brian Ching. This is the fifth part of the, uh, sort of the initial storyline, the reign of the cyborg Superman, which I believe ends next month? Sounds about right. Yeah. Um... This issue was 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 okay. I feel like this storyline has dragged on a little bit too long. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, it felt like a four issue arc to me. Yeah, I thought for sure that this was going to be the last issue, and then when I saw like to be continued or whatever, like oh, okay. Um, but but you know, but but I think it's gotten better and better with every issue for me, anyway. Um. And, and you guys, did anyone else kind of think, is anyone else getting their, I mean, I've been talking about this for, I feel like as long as we've been doing this podcast, anyone else get that little tingly feeling at the end of this issue that we might have new Krypton, a sort of new Krypton on earth again. It's like falling to earth, man. That'd be cool. Yeah, like that's what I want. I've wanted that for so long. I just wanted it back, you guys. <laughs> I want to be able to say New Krypton's back. It's good again. Oh. <laughs> Crypto howl. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that tickled me just the right way, Vince. Uh, yeah. I um I really like Brian Ching's art on this book. I think it's a really good fit for this character. Yeah, I very like it. It has a very distinct style that that is instantly recognizable with like this book. I I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. All right, we have a couple more here before we're wrapping up. We got Superwoman number six, uh, written by Phil Jimenez, and he did uh, breakdowns on it, I believe. Right, Vince? Uh, yeah. Yes. And then who did finishes for it? Matt Santarelli. And then uh, Jack Herbert was on inks. So, mm-hmm. you know, between the two of them. I feel like uh, Stefan, when I talk about this comic, Stefan from SNL. It has everything. This comic has <laughs> everything. Steel, Tracy 13, Kryptonite Man's head, Kryptonite everything. <laughs> Kryptonite's head, man's head is that thing of where you're in the club and, <laughs> and a midget, uh, you've yeah. got Molly and a midget comes up to you and he's covered in glow sticks. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was the first issue that I felt it was kind of overwhelming how much everything was in this issue. There's a uh, lot, <laughs> but I like that. I, I feel like so many times comics trend the other way where we just get this, Everything is decompressed over 50 issues, and this has 10 issues worth of content in one issue. 
Like it would have taken Bendis a year to tell this issue story. <laughs> Maybe two years. Maybe two years. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would take a year if he got uh, Superwoman and then another Superwoman book to run. That's true. In, you know, two weeks. years worth of issues, but yes, yep, in a year. Yeah. And one of them would probably still double ship. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff to like in this issue. We get a little bit of Lena Luthor story that, that you know, just kind of grounds her character a little bit. I, I think, actually, the series might have used that better an issue or so ago, but that's a small complaint. I, um, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's full of so many ideas and so many characters that are interesting. I, I, I'm blanking right now on the name of the character that shows up at the end, the guy who's like the electric skull guy. What's his name? The electric um, skull guy? Is it, uh, is it Atomic Skull? No? I, don't know, I feel like someone's going to comment on the... I feel like the, our multiversity comments at this point are just people correcting us. I think that's that, Atomic Skull, right? That's good, though. That's what we need. We need, Absolutely. We need corrections. Listeners... We need fact checkers, yeah. I love you for it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for that. I think it is Thomas Cole, though. But like, I really liked I liked his role earlier in the series. And I like him coming back here. I think everything about this book is is ambitious and fun. And, uh, yeah, I'm very happy about it. Anything else, guys? Nope, still very good. The Superman line is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, Except for Action for the, Comics. For the, for the most part, yeah. Can I, uh, <laughs> can I make a request if we're going to move on here? Sure. Can we do Wonder Woman before Titans? Yes, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. All right, Wonder Woman number 14, the finale of the Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott Wonder Woman year one storyline. Uh, this issue was pretty much just constructed to let Nicola Scott draw beautiful things. <laughs> and god damn it, did she ever. Yeah, if this is her, I, is this her last issue? This was her last issue on the book, yes. Man, she went out with a bang. Yeah. Um, basically this, basically this wraps up year one and, um, it finishes the fight with Ares and it kind of, I don't know, it doesn't really resolve uh, anything about uh, Themyscira and the mystery behind that. Because that's kind of woven in when she's in the, in the fight with Ares. Yes, right? it is. But that, but that will be resolved in the, in the other story. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it will. Um, but then, and then it ends with like the perfect beat of her getting the, the name of Wonder Woman and uh, yes. it just yeah, yeah, it worked really well. I feel like we've had so many uh, I mean I'm trying to th- I was trying to just do a head count. Have we gotten something like seven Superman origin stories since Crisis of Infinite Earths? I that that's my like yeah, back of the envelope math, like between five and seven origin stories. And I feel like the Superman origin story everyone already knows already. The Wonder Woman origin story is is less is less known, and this might be the most streamlined it's ever been. Like I think I think this is going to become the new 
book you give somebody if you want them to know who Wonder Woman is. Yep. And that's awesome. Well, as yeah. evidenced as evidenced by the uh, free comic book day offering from DC this year that was just announced. Oh, I didn't even that, see that. No, no what, what was, was it? it? It's essentially I think it's just a reprint of issue 1 of uh this year 1 story. Oh, this is going to be one of those years. Yeah, I think that's all they do these days. Like, or is, no. or is this the, is that the silver well, offering this... or is it also a gold offering? Well, maybe. I don't know which yeah. one it is. I just saw that it was announced. It's one of the offerings. They did it's... Suicide Squad last year. But they've they've kind of dabbled with that throughout the years. You know, they did like Secret or- Green Lantern Secret Origin. Right. Yeah. Green Lantern came out. They've kind of like had like it's like every years. other year, yeah. Yeah. But this is the, I think the first time like where it's been back to back years with reprints. Uh-huh. Uh. I really miss the days of the uh the Blackest Night for Calum Book Day issue. Oh man. Yeah. I've still got that somewhere. So do I, yeah. I have every single Blackest Night thing in singles someplace. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I think we all do, right? Yeah. Is that Teachers our, like... zero guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. The the divergent. Um That was actually really good. Or divergence. Yeah, that was good. That might be the... like my second favorite after the Blackest Night one. There was a Trinity War. There was a Trinity War was... one. Yeah, there was the new fifty yeah, that new fifty two Trinity War one. I don't think it was very good, but it certainly was exciting that it was something yes. really yeah. different. Yeah. I think there was the uh I think it was the year after Blackest Night there was the War of the Superman number zero. Yes. Yep, yep. Oh shit. That was good. Yeah. Man. Alright, wrapping up this week, bringing us home, embracing us with its wonderful glow. Zach's gonna gush. Yeah, so is Brian. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I haven't heard any of your your takes on this, Brian. Uh, Titans number seven, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Lee Weeks. Be still my heart, Lee Weeks. Um, this this was a really really fun issue. This but this issue is also imminently frustrating because you know Brett Booth's back <laughs> next month. <laughs> Uh, can we, uh, let's just let's just stay positive. Let's let's you know. Let's they, hold steady. This let's stay positive. They, yep, that's right. Yep, they're gonna go low. We're gonna go high. Right. <laughs> yeah, that worked uh, so well. <laughs> Lee Weeks, you guys. Yeah. Lee Weeks. Lee Merriweather Weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was a great looking issue. His art is so dope. Like. The way that he draws, Superman is so handsome. Yeah, Superman, Superman would would have dated your grandma. Like yeah. you know, he's a classically handsome man. He's like powdered toast man, handsome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice pull. Thanks. Uh, this is the, the the. I mean, obviously, like you know, this issue aside from the. Wally Superman stuff, which we'll get to in a second. I I kind of like um, Dick and Garth like working with a lawyer to uh, yeah to, to like set up Titan's Tower. I like that. I, I I even liked the Donna Roy pseudo date. Mm-hmm. Like that was pretty fun. Yeah. But 
but let's let's talk about the the the, the Clark Wally stuff. Oh. Mwah. Perfect. So many so many chef kisses happening. Yes. <laughs> you, can't, you can't see them, but I mean just how, how Superman was like, nice to see you again. Bye and then took <laughs> off and then Wally had to run after like everything. It was playful. It was it was super hopeful. It was everything about it was just Oh. When this issue was announced in the solicits a few months ago, I remember thinking like this is gonna break my heart because it's gonna be so wonderful and then we're gonna fall back to Earth and that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. But oh it's so good. And like this is I mean, this is just proof that Abnet is a really good writer. Yeah. But it, it, you need like a really good artist to like coax it out of him, you know? Yeah. I just think that there's there's so many little touches that Weeks does that just would not have happened, even if the same artist had done layouts for both issues. Booth's art just doesn't lend itself to the nuance that Weeks art does. Right. Brian, when you're right, you're right. And you, you're always right. I'm not always right. Come on, guys. <laughs> Come on. I, I, In addition to every Blackest Night issue, I also have every Brightest Day issue. Yeah. So yep. I'm not always right. Well. Yep. I have every uh, Convergence issue, so. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I do. I have all the, um, I have all the, uh, all the chip covers. Uh-huh. Because um, you got I'm that sick. DCBS bundle. Yeah, I did. <laughs> when they make it so easy, how can you how can you resist? Yeah, guilty as charged. Um, yeah. for the biggest feels for me were the very last page though, with Titan's Tower coming out of the out of the river, I guess. Yeah, and Superman saying like this feels familiar, whatever he said. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was so fun. This whole issue was just, it, it, you know, it's all the things that you guys said. It was fun and hopeful and and just all the character interactions were great. This is this is what this book should be right here. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for listening. We uh, we have fun doing this every week. And we've been really enjoying the, uh, we said, the comments on the Multiversity posts and Occasionally, get a tweet about it, and uh, again, we brought on some new writers to Multiversity, and a few have come out as closet DC three fans. So, thank you guys. We really appreciate that. And um, you can find us here each and every week. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. And I am at Sir Fox eight nine. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna do something fun. I I decided the other day. I have a a bunch of uh, of hardcover DC books they sent me that are just I don't have the room on my shelf and you know I have them in singles in some in some cases so we're gonna put together a nice prize pack for people if you go on iTunes and you review the podcast take a screen grab of your review and send it to Brian at multiversitycomics.com and we'll do a random drawing in a few weeks to get a pack of uh, let's call it five DC hardcovers.
Wow. So, uh, yeah, let's do that. So go get out there, review it. And review the podcast you know we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna be mad if we don't get lots of five-star reviews but you know we'd appreciate the five-star reviews and uh yeah so again review it take a screenshot email it to brian at multiversitycomics.com and we'll enter you guys in a contest to win some comics and uh maybe we'll even do two or three winners depending on how many books i can wrangle up so we'll see but uh, until next time, thanks for listening, and uh, have a good night, everybody. I can't find you. I can't find you. I can't find you.